as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. Our guest is Ed Eduardo Campirano, who uh, recently left his job as the, you know, I'm so used to calling people the head dog because I can never remember their titles. Uh, Ed Campidano was the uh, port director at the Port of Brownsville uh, for, like you said, 16 years, Ed? And 16 and a half. 16 and a half. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. When, when uh, you, you knew your time was over when you came into work uh, right before Christmas and your keys wouldn't work. <laughs> they, they wouldn't get you in. They said, oh, this is a hint. This is a broad hint. The uh, yeah. port on, on the port's website, Port of Brownsville's website, which is east of Brownsville, I guess people, I assume a lot of people don't know that because it's not something you would see if you're driving into Brownsville. You, you've got to go east of Brownsville to do that, and most people aren't going to do it. And at one time, that, that was a real kind of industrial sort of area. But it opened in 19, 1936. And it was the, is it fair to say it was the dream or the, the brainchild of um, a guy named Cobolini, who was an Italian immigrant who loved ports, and this is where he ended Well, up. yeah, yeah, I think the, as the story goes, Luis Cobolini, or Commodore Luis Cobolini, he, he was in Galveston. Oh. Uh, he had spent time in Galveston, and so he came to Brownsville, so he was familiar with ports, and so a lot of the stories credit him as kind of being the the father of the Port of Brownsville. But you know, people in the community organized and you know made an effort to do so, and uh, they succeeded. Um, the, I guess the first real thing that happened was in in the uh, late 1920s. The state of Texas actually created the Brownsville Navigation District, uh. and. That's the governmental entity on which the Brownsville currently operates, the Port of Brownsville currently operates. And, and what that did was establish the mechanism to, you know, have some semblance of a, an organized group, a governing body, if you will, the ability to, uh, uh, to issue debt, to borrow money. And, yeah. and you know, the, the story goes from there. And then in, in 1936, on the 16th of May, the Port of Brownsville open for business so it's what 30 87 years old now um i can't do math anymore not not since uh calculators what do you think mr cobolini and the uh, other city fathers uh, of brownsville would say about the port today well i would say that uh i think they had a vision and hopefully that their vision has come through uh but you know Maritime trade had always been part of the region, it, you know, whether it was, yeah. you know, the origins of the uh, uh, the riverboat trade from, yeah. you know, through Brownsville up to Laredo, through 
you know, the schooners and the narrow gauge railroad that used to go to Port Isabel from Brownsville to load ships in what is Brazos de Santiago or yeah. the Bay. And and so it's, it, 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 it isn't, it wasn't kind of foreign to them in that respect uh, because there had always been some, you know, some mm-hmm. water commerce uh, going on for quite some time. But I guess the vision to to see something much grander than what was going on at the time. And I hope that their dream and had been realized and it has been realized to a great extent. We're talking with Ed Campidano, who is finishing. Well, he's he's uh, finished a um, a season in public service um, in his adult life and still still uh, raring to go uh, and retiring recently from the Port of Brownsville. When you were the city manager in South Padre Island and then in Brownsville, what did you all think of the port then? You go, man, that's a that's a jewel or golly, those guys don't know what they're doing. We, we could do the X, Y, Z. Yeah, I don't I don't really recall those kinds even even from yeah. my early origins at the port or at the city of browns as a city planner and that's how my career began and i guess you could say public service but i don't know the the port has always been uh you know a, an important part of the community i mean you know there was a time where you know grain was king and oh, there yeah. was so much ship traffic with grain moving in and out of the port uh you know the fishing industry. You know the yeah, the, the, the commercial for shrimping. Yes, you know we, you know people don't realize, but at one time the largest domestic fishing fleet in the world was between Port Isabel and Brownsville. There was over seven hundred and fifty uh, fishing vessels, That's and so it's always played, I think, a very important part in 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 the community and in the area. Uh, I, I just think that times have changed with the connectivity of the world and, and just the way commerce and is today that, mm. you know, ports play an even more significant part. Uh, I often tell people, you know, how does the Rio Grande Valley touch the rest of the world? Well, it does it through ocean shipping and, and, uh, it, uh, it, it's just, you yeah. know, so much has, has happened in, in the change of how commerce works now that, you know, ports are major, major economic engines in the areas in which they exist. Well, th- this, I, I will defend this question as being actually pretty good, but other people will say it's a dumb question. But let, I'll let you make up your mind. What does a port do? What's the, what's the point of a port? Because people will well, talk about inland ports, yeah. but I always think of That's a water correct. port. Yeah, yeah. No, I the the term port originally meant maritime. It it was water. It was connected to water. Now inland ports, international bridges, all of those things are port. Everybody's a port nowadays. But the the whole history of ports centers around water. And if you look at the greatest cities of the world, they all started as port cities. Europe, Asia. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all of these old. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, civilizations and, and 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 just the whole notion of it has always been tied to water and 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 so I agree with you there. But you know I I describe the port of today mostly uh, obviously being a multimodal facility and 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 essentially it's it's connected to every form of transportation you can you can do. You know you 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 have the deep sea uh, ocean water for large scale vessels. You have the Gulf Intercoastal Waterway for barge traffic. 
you've got rail connectivity, you've got great road connectivity, you've got pipeline connectivity. So mm -hmm. every form of being able to connect the port or being able to move commodities in and out of ports exists. Water, road, rail, and in some cases, air. Uh, you know, we're not very far from the Brownsville International Airport, but you have some port authorities around the country mm. that have both airports and ports within their jurisdiction, and they, they operate uh, the port of Tacoma, uh, Seattle, uh, Seattle oh, Tacoma, sure. uh, New York, New Jersey. So, again, you know, every form of being able to move something, uh, get it to some location or pick it up from some location, you know, all of those platforms are available through a maritime port. The the uh, a recent economic forum in McAllen, uh, Mexico centered, uh, featured talk of the nearshoring the the companies that were leaving China, coming either coming or coming back to this hemisphere, specifically to Mexico, and I think thirty factories or something going up around Monterey. Now that traffic will go, a lot of it will go up roads through Laredo, but we we feed. Monterey, that does that mean anything well, to the port that 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 bird that it bird means a lot to the port it means a lot to the region region yes well a lot of it to go through laredo a substantial amount still comes through the valley i mean when you look at the area of influence if you will of the port it really centers very significantly on monterey and it goes beyond monterey up to san luis potosi and the surrounding area so just as important for Laredo, it's just as important yeah. for Brownsville, the Rio Grande Valley. So that is not going to go away. Uh, that will continue to, uh, you know, be, uh, well, I mean, if you look at the port yeah. today, you know, the number one shipper is the steel shipper. And uh, and, and why? Because their major uh, steel production facility, state-of-the-art, is in Monterrey. They're the yeah. number one steel provider in Mexico. Well, as their production increases, throughput through the port of Brownsville increases. And Mexico's port in... Steel, I'm you sorry. know, that, that company that's developing a facility in the port, you know, they're centered in that region. You know, they want to expand their market into the domestic U.S. market. So, you know, it's still a huge part of trade uh, in this region, and it's going to continue to be. And, and the port is a key factor in that trade. Well, my, my next question would be, but I don't have any time, would be, um, I have a Mexican friend who said, if you add up all the industrial capacity or uh, exports of the Central American countries, they're not near anywhere where Mexico is. Mexico is a huge industrial capacity, which I guess we don't see here. But um, anyway, Ed, thank you very much, and um, just enjoy your time off, and, uh, and uh, hope you get a job in the Upper Valleys. Not that far of a drive. That's Ed Campidano, the longtime uh, director of the Port of Brownsville. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home here on 710KRV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. 
You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids are running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Dr. Ray Perryman, the Texas economist from the, the Perryman Group. Yeah, because 2023, uh, and I love the way that you uh, wrote about this in your, uh, your, your, your article uncertainty right there was a lot of uncertainty in 2023 is there still uncertainty in 2024 and is it a different kind let's compare the two so let's talk about 2023 what's your take on it well there's there yes there's still a lot of uncertainty i guess it's a short answer on that uh it's a little bit different this time around i mean we do have a better sense of what the federal reserve is going to do we have a better sense of inflation, that sort of thing. But we also have, I think, the uncertainty, by and large, comes from uh, from what's going on in other parts of the world right now. I mean, between the war in Ukraine, the Israel-Hamas situation, the situation with, with uh, Venezuela and Guyana, all of which affect <laughs> energy markets, and the Red Sea trading lanes, and then what's going on in China. And the combination of all those create a lot of potential uncertainty. I think the underlying economics of the year look pretty good but there's all there's several things out there that could derail us yeah so let's uh let's take a look back under the microscope at, at 2023 and uh i i noticed that they snuck in the 34 trillion dollars worth of debt like in the final days of the <laughs> of the year <laughs> so that 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 can't well, have been that. great on the scale of things right <laughs> yeah and, and the discouraging thing was they did 33 million about th- 33 trillion about three months earlier it didn't take oh, long God. to get that extra tree. And, and, uh, well, and then we are yeah. seeing a situation where government needs to get things under control, I mean, uh, and slow the rate of growth in, in, in the debt. I mean, it, it really is something now that, and, and they seem to be pretty much incapable of doing that. I mean, we're seeing that with the budget uh, dis, dis, discussions they're having right now. I mean, they, they're, we just don't seem to be able to get the two parties together to just sit down and make a real budget. I mean, it's been 30 years. Joining us on 710-KURV, the Texas economist, Dr. Ray Perryman. Davis Rankin, your question. Go ahead. So I, I see Dr. Perryman joins me in wishing they would go back to regular order budgeting in Congress. And that's <laughs> I find it fascinating. I'm sure you do, too. And nobody else gives a rat's butt about this. So. Well, it's, it, it, it's obvious that, I mean, basically, when you do that, when you, like in your own home, if you sit down and budget, you can look at each individual item and say, do we need more of it? Do we need less of it? Do we need it at all? That never yeah. happens in Washington. And so consequently, you, you keep things you probably don't need. You don't spend money on things you do need. And, and, and you never have that, that hard conversation about what needs to happen uh, on a global basis. And it really, it's really a shame that, we, that we've been that dysfunctional for that long. Uh, Dr. Perriman, you've said in the past uh, when, when I've expressed, uh, golly, the debt's real big and how long before everything falls apart. And you said, no, no, be, because we're so trusted around the world. And in spite of what's going on, we have a very stable, uh, very stable uh, society that we can run up a lot more debt before they start looking askance at us. Is, is that still 
Is that, oh yeah, you know, that, that's, so, absol- that's absolutely true. There's there's no question about that. I mean, the more uncertainty, I just ticked off a bunch of things that are uncertain in the world. The more we have uncertainty in the world, the more people want to fly to flight to safety, and that's what the that's what the dollar represents. I don't see any danger of sort of the doomsday scenario that that nobody wants to hold our debt. But the the difficulty we face is, I mean, obviously more debt means more more interest payments have to be made on the debt, and of course mm-hmm. now those new bonds are being issued at much higher interest rates what we've seen the last 10 years or so. And so consequently, that means a bigger and bigger chunk of the federal budget has to go to interest, which means less money for things like national defense and, and, and security on the border, the issue that I know is hitting, hitting your area so hard right mm-hmm. now. And all those things that we need to be addressing, it gives us less and less flexibility in that regard. What uh, what have been the traditional drivers of the Texas economy and what's, what's your forecast for the health in 2024? Well, Texas, it depends on how far back you go. I mean, uh, you know, at yeah. the beginning, it was it was cattle, then it was cotton, then it was oil. Uh, and in the last few years, oil has, has remains extremely important, oil and gas. But we've also seen the technology sectors develop a great deal, uh, business services, global trade, any number of other things. And an emerging one right now is the life sciences area. I mean, that's one where Texas has traditionally lagged some other parts of the country, but we're catching up really quickly right now, beginning to be quite a force in, in life sciences as well. Uh, on the whole, those industries are doing pretty well right now. Uh, the with trade hit record volumes at most of our ports along the Gulf Coast this year. Uh, the energy sector is hitting record levels of production. So, they're, they're, so on the whole, most of our sectors are doing quite well at the moment. And Texas does enter the enter the year with some slowdown in growth through the last half of the year, as we expected, but still with quite a bit of momentum. Dr. Ray Perryman, the Texas economist, joining us now. Davis, he said you had one more question. Go ahead before I uh, take over. It, it's been reported that uh, China, companies have gone to China are coming back, and then even Chinese companies are coming back to Mexico. Uh, that's called, so I think they call it nearshoring. Lots of factories going in around Monterey. Um, what Do you have a forecast for? We seem to be more and more tied to Mexico. Yeah, we're seeing more and more of that. We are basically what happened was the pandemic kind of let us know that when you have a lot of your key components, medical supplies, and also mm-hmm. the components that go into major manufacturing, even some consumer goods, that when those things can't get into the country, uh, you can yeah. have some very, very severe supply chain disruptions, which we saw. And so that's that's increased the incentive for people to invest in North America, and of course. For a lot of for a lot of industries, the cost structure works much better in Mexico, and we're seeing a lot of that taking place right now in, in Monterey, uh, in in the, in the Reynosa, in and really kind of across the entire area, Pedras Negras, a number of places. What what do you look forward to the most economically for the Lone Star State in 2024? Well, I think. Uh, one thing I look forward to is, is continuing to see the development of life sciences. As, as you probably know, Texas was one of the three states that was designated to, to get one of the hubs or one of the three areas, Washington, D.C. was one of them, to get one of the hubs for the new uh, the federal ARPA-H uh, health care program. And I think that's going to help be a catalyst. There's a lot of other big projects on the drawing boards, a lot of other things happening. So I think you'll see some real excitement in that sector as, as the year progresses. I think that's probably going to be where most of the most of the sizzle is this time around. I mean, the energy will continue to do well. Global trade will continue to expand. There'll be a lot of other positive things happening. But I think probably you're going to hear the most about life sciences. Uh, anything that I'm afraid to ask, but uh, <laughs> if you were a gambling man and you could put down a certain amount of money behind uh, any one industry this year, if you're comfortable enough to say that, well, what would that be? Uh, life sciences. Yeah. 
Life sciences. Okay. okay. Not gambling. Not, not casinos. <laughs> not, not, yeah, not legal gambling in Texas, <laughs> but life sciences. Well, you know, with, with the new acquisitions by the uh, fans folks of, of, the, of the Mavericks and some land up in Dallas, there's going to be a bigger push than we've seen before. But uh, thus far, the legislature's been pretty dug in on that, and I don't see that likely moving to the next session. All right. Thanks, uh, thanks Thank for spending you, some time with us. Always a, a bright joy to uh, to have your voice on our program, sir. Appreciate it as usual. Dr. Ray Perryman, the Texas economist. You can check out more of his writings over at perrymangroup.com. You're listening to News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. I love your show. Hello. Hello. Having our voices heard. That's right. Yeah. You live and you learn. Exactly right. This is our country. Use your heads on this stuff. Bingo. Sick of the talking heads. I agree with you. Talk, 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 talk. Hello? Hello? Yes, I'm here. I'm just listening. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Everyone is so smart. They are so dumb. Who is she to judge? Stand up to do something. Thank you. The Valley's only news talk station, News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. And uh, joining us now to get a check of uh, what's happening in Cameron County, um, virus wise and flu wise and COVID wise and everything that's flying around the air these days. Because lo and behold, I know too many people around me got sick with very similar things. Dr. James Castillo is the Cameron County Health Authority. He joins us now on uh, 710 KURV. Are we in the peak of uh, flu season right now? I think we're coming off the peak. Uh, We peaked this year sometime around Christmas. And then in that week after Christmas, between New Year's, things started trending down. Uh, We're still pending the report for that first week after New Year's. So I don't know if it's going to spike back up in a little bit, but, uh, you know, the flu this year was, you know, you know, hit a little bit later than last year and about as intense. But there's a whole bunch of other viruses going around too. Yeah, at, at one point in Cameron County, or Cameron County, Hidalgo County, uh, some of our friends were texting us saying that the amount of people in the hospital with the flu was higher, way higher, actually, than the amount of people in there with COVID. Is that is that similar for Cameron County? Um, you know, I, I, I've seen a, quite a few hospitalizations for the flu. Um, I've seen some people you know, get the flu so bad they end up on uh, ventilators and sometimes even mm-hmm. the, the heart-lung bypass machine, the ECMO machine. Um, but I don't know if it's necessarily worse than it's been last year. Joining us on 710KURV is uh, Dr. James Castillo, Cameron County Health Authority. Davis, your question. Go ahead. Uh, is this the end of the world as we know it, Dr. Castillo? Davis! No, no. No, here's the reason for that. It seems like, it, I don't know whether we just cover it more or there is more disease. Which is it? Mm. I think I think we're probably covering it more. Obviously, we have now a new virus in the mix, right? So now you have COVID on top of the flu. Um, we tend to see more RSV also. I think we, you know, there's yeah. uh, there's some other viruses out there. This uh, human metapneumovirus that came around about you know ten years ago or so. So I think we just have a whole lot more of these 
cold and flu types of, of viruses running around. Um, but I don't know if it, it necessarily, now we're also able to pick them out. Uh, I think we're able to diagnose mm-hmm. them uh, more often now with those PCR tests. So we're actually kind of labeling things more. Uh, but I think the other thing we notice is that gap of immunity that popped up out of COVID uh, kind of came back to, to haunt us these next, you know, in these past few years. So hopefully over the next few years, and now there's also a vaccine for RSV. Um, you know, I think with that, we'll probably see things get better. Yeah. Yeah, uh, RSV. Uh, why? So I hadn't heard about RSV until after we had come out of quarantine, uh, quarantine and, uh, for, for court, uh, COVID after the COVID era was gone. That's when I started hearing a lot more about RSV. Why is that? Or was I just Uh, under a rock? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think, I think, uh, I think we just kind of, you didn't see it because those, uh, quarantine measures worked well to get to kind of suppress a whole bunch of viruses. Uh, but RSV tends to be this, uh, infection of, of newborns of little kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't catch it and they didn't have the immunity because there was no vaccine for it back then. Now, all of a sudden you got a bunch of kids who don't have immunity all catching it at the same time. So you saw all the children's hospitals fill up with RSV cases. I don't know if you remember that a couple of years ago after quarantine end. So obviously it definitely made big news. Uh, this year they came out with a, um, it's for for the kids. It's most like a, the the what you call it the immunoglobulin, uh, the the monoclonal antibody. Uh, it's not necessarily a vaccine because uh, the kids are so young uh, to give it, but they didn't make enough of it. And so when it got launched, it it, it seemed to kind of um, didn't go as well of a launch of a treatment. So hopefully next season, uh, when this is more available, we'll be able to prevent it in in more kids. Dr. James Castillo is the Cameron County Health Authority. He joins us on News Talk 710 KURV. And I, uh, I, this was a, a anecdotal observation of mine. A lot of people that I had known, Davis included, I'm going to out you, Davey. Uh, so I, in, in December, I was out for basically the entire month because I caught the flu. And it was bad. Because once, once I was done with the flu, I had this lingering, uh, very irritated throat that I just couldn't get rid of. And it was, I couldn't swallow. It, it hurt to talk. And that stuck with me for a while after the flu. And then Davis over here got caught with uh, bronchitis. Mm-hmm. And then did you have a throat infection too, Davey? No. No, you didn't have I a throat infection? But no, I, I used to. I, I've heard people from uh, different parts of the valley, like, like Raymondville. I have people in Raymondville tell me they caught something similar and this and that. So what is it about this? Uh, what What is it about the the flu season that... It's like the, it's, it's almost like the lottery, right? When when they put all the balls inside of that machine and they start floating around and stuff. What, what is it about flu season? He does the scratch just, off. Dr. Castillo does the scratch off. He doesn't do that kind of lottery. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. It, you know, these respiratory viruses, when you get them, whether it's the flu or adenovirus or rhinovirus, I mean, there's a whole bunch. We just call them the cold sometimes, right? Uh, you know, they can open you up sometimes to these bacterial infections. Uh and so sometimes you'll get like a second, you know, bacterial infection or like a, you know, bronchitis or so after the virus gets you. Um, so that can cause things to get worse or linger. Um, and then it takes a while for your body to repair all that damage. And so some people can get this called a post-viral cough where they'll stay, they'll stay with a cough for weeks or a month and a half or so. 
Um, and that's really annoying too, wow. but it, 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 you know, it tends to just come from these viruses that, you know, that are just circulating and every, you know, after so long, after a year or two, uh, your immunity goes down again and you get it right. But they tend not to be as severe and put you in the hospital. Now, if you're older, you've got chronic medical problems. Yeah. You know, uh, or, or very young, you know, babies, those types of infections, uh, can can definitely be life threatening or or put you in the hospital. And um, go ahead, Debbie. Before I ask my question, go ahead. If somebody has um, asthma, let's say late onset uh, adult onset asthma, what makes them more um, more um, makes it more dangerous for them if they get some other respiratory problem, which is kind of what we've been talking about, right? Um, yeah, you know, when someone's got asthma, it means that they're, they tend to have this reactive airway that, you know, it tends to be almost like a, a allergies mm-hmm. or the propensity for the airway to get more inflamed. Uh, so any little thing that irritates them, huh? It shuts down. It, it constricts to protect itself, I suppose. Well, no, no. I think it just gets, uh, it starts uh, constricting not to protect itself. It's more like a bad reaction. Um, you know, uh, just inflammation and it's obviously, uh, not normal inflammation. It's not healthy inflammation. It goes overboard. And now you, you can't, uh, get enough air in and out. So a lot of the treatments for asthma are geared at suppressing the, uh, immune response that causes that inflammation. So they tend to be given chronic steroids, inhaled steroids, uh-huh. and it calms that down. But obviously if you're suppressing the immune system, it can open you up uh, mm-hmm. to get infections. So and doctors have to balance speaking, the balance what they do. Exactly. Speaking of that, being being opened up by one um, virus or or one ailment to leave you vulnerable for another. Uh, Dr. James Castillo is the Cameron County Health Authority joining us on seven ten KURV. So the question is: Is there any truth to that? Um, your your the the idea that your immune system needs practice in being sick. Yeah, your, your your immune system needs practice in being exposed to things a lot. Yeah, um, well, I mean, that's one way to build immunity. The other way to, to do it is to, you know, basically teach your immune system how to fight a disease without ever catching it or getting exposed to the disease, and that's that's what vaccines are. Um, and and so that that's really the best way to train your immune system, but there's a lot of illnesses we don't have vaccines for that you just – you know, you're, you're going to get it. Um, and uh, once you get it, your immunity is going to last for a while, but not forever. Uh, but the next time you get it, your body should be able to fight it off better than it did the first time. So you might not get it as bad. So that's that whole, you know, your immune system learning. Uh, now, as you get older, if you get certain illnesses that affect your immune system or you're on medicines that affect your immune system, then you don't have that kind of protection. And so when you get sick, it's actually much more severe. Davis, final question before we go. Um, will, will, um, when will this uh, taper off or, or de- de- the incidence of these conditions and disease will right. decline such that it passes from our view? <laughs> so it looks like RSV is, is coming down, according to the, the reports from the state, kind of peaked in October, and that's coming down. Flu is just, I think we're just over the hump on the flu. And it looks like it'll keep on circulating at, at pretty annoying rates up until around mid-February or, or so if, if the line continues like it does most years if you follow that pattern. 
So it looks like we're in for, uh, you know, another, you know, month or so of the flu. So if a person still hasn't gotten the flu vaccine and this circulating version seems to be pretty ugly, it's not too late to get the flu vaccine. And if you're 60 or over, uh, definitely you can still get the RSV vaccine. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. James Castillo, thank you so much for joining us today and, and breaking that all down for us. That's Dr. James Castillo. The Cameron County Health Authority joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Joining us now from Breitbart, the Border Stories, the Cartel Chronicles is Alfonso Poncho Ortiz. And yeah, there's a lot to talk about. We, we, we need to get caught up with everything that's happening. I see your I see a, a story right at the, the top of uh Breitbart, right. uh, the name was eluding me, uh, cartel gunmen dumped nine bodies in central Mexico pointing to a new turf war. You just posted this one today. What's the story? Well, uh, basically, uh, you know, in central Mexico, there's a state of Querétaro, which uh, has been a, a very nice colonial area, very quiet. It's been, you know, avoided most of the violence until uh, pretty much late last month, uh, earlier this year, when basically you started seeing multiple killings in the state capital. And then uh, yesterday, uh, in a rural town, uh, area uh, near Querétaro, in, in that state, uh, basically it's called uh, San Juan del Rio, uh, they dumped nine bodies. Uh, you know, they left them on the side of the road. They were... Uh, bound, gagged, and they all had been shot in the head. Um, so this is something that, you know, violence is reaching to that area. All these killings are tied to uh, uh, an expansion by Cartel Jalisco New Generation. Uh, they're moving into other territories. So really that's pretty much where most of the violence in Mexico is linked to one, uh, you know, factions aligned with either Cartel Jalisco or the Sinaloa Cartel basically uh, fighting each other. And that's what's starting to happen in this area, which had managed to avoid most of the violence. But, you know, now you're seeing uh, bodies in ice chest in Querétaro. Uh, you know, you're seeing this mass killing, and uh, things are starting to heat up in that, that area that used to be safe. Joining us on 710KURV is Alfonso Poncho Ortiz from Breitbart, Texas. We're getting caught up with all the cartel activity south of the border right now. Uh, other stories that, that you have posted uh, is a video with the Mexican politicians' relatives in, in a plane crash. What's, what is that story about, uh, Pancho? Well, uh, basically, the mother and aunt of 
of uh, the former mayor of Matamoros. They were basically flying from uh, Matamoros into uh, uh, the state of Coahuila. They were taking a private plane. Sadly, as the plane was trying to land uh, in, in Coahuila, uh, something happened to the plane, lost control or something, and pretty much they, they crashed. Uh, sadly, the pilot and the three passengers uh, perished in, in, in that plane crash. And has there, uh, has the, I know there's an investigation into it, but uh, have have they found anything as of yet? Uh, not yet. I mean, it, right now it appears to have been a uh, pilot error, so we're still, it's still undetermined, though. It'll, it'll be okay. some time before they give a final conclusion, yeah. Yeah, I know it's real easy to insinuate because this is one of those things that it, it happens in the movies type um, scenarios. But as long as there's an investigation, as long as there's information coming out, uh, the next the next story, and this one's the the gruesome one that, that I, I had seen posted by you, uh, was the appendages in ice chests story. Um, what what well, happened? Well, this one is just just uh, south of us. It happened in Rio Bravo, which is just south of Donna. So in um, in this commercial plaza. Uh, basically, two vehicles pull up and they start dumping ice chest and a trash bag, uh, in and two poster boards. So when uh, you know people kind of already knew what it was, so they called the authorities. When authorities showed up, they opened one of the ice chests, and lo and behold, there were several uh, dismembered body parts, a couple of feet, a torso, a couple of hands. So they were trying to kind of put it all together, and it's multiple bodies. It's not just one, and uh, the, the heads are still missing. However, this uh, gruesome discovery um, comes just uh, about three days after uh, a group of migrants had been kidnapped uh, and released. They had just been released in Rio Bravo. I don't know if you remember that case. It, it, it all began on December 30th when a group of uh, 36 migrants had boarded a bus in Monterrey, they go through Reynosa, they were going towards Matamoros, and then near uh, Novo Progreso, five SUVs with gunmen basically stop the bus, get everybody down, and they take them all. Uh, cops were able to rescue five of them right away. Uh, within a short, short time later, they found five of them. But 32 migrants were missing, and, uh, you know, they... They took them away. Uh, they were missing for days. And, uh, you know, it became a national scandal in Mexico. And, you know, then uh, last Wednesday, Mexico's uh, uh, president and his office, they announced, you know, we, we rescued the migrants. The authorities rescued the migrants and so forth. However, we published certain details and other outlets kind of basically picked up on, our, on, on what we began publishing that started questioning the, the, the version of events played by Mexico because they were not rescued by authorities. Actually, the Gulf Cartel released these migrants. Um, and basically, authorities took credit for having rescued them in Mexico. So it became a big uh, egg-in-the-face type of event for Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, who continues to claim that Mexico is safe, everything's under control, when in reality... And it's kind of scary if you think about it. The Gulf Cartel was able to, in you know, kidnap with complete impunity a large group of migrants. They were going to hold them for ransom and so forth, and then they released them 
you know, a couple of days later, they killed off a couple of, you know, the whole ISIS incident. However, since then, nobody has been arrested. Nobody has been charged. The crime, all these crimes remain with complete impunity. And that's become the norm in Tamaulipas, where pretty much cartel gunmen are able to do whatever they want and they get away with it. Uh, I'm going to ask you a very, uh, well, I don't know how to frame it, but it, it's a question, that's for sure. Um, is it is it safe to go to Mexico? Is is there uh, is there a way to get in and out of there without finding yourself in trouble? Well, look, you know, um, on that, I'm pretty much going to refer you to the Department of State. They have a listing of uh, areas that are, you know, Levels one, two, three, and four. Four is basically what they would use for a war zone: is Syria, Iran, Iraq, and so forth. And the state of Tamaulipas is labeled as uh, stage four. So that just gives you an idea of how bad our own government thinks it is, despite what politicians like to claim that you know, Mexico commerce friends and whatever. It really is that unsafe. Now. Mind you, it's a numbers game. You know, people may say, oh, I go on, uh, to Reynosa all the time. I go to Matamoros all the time. Nothing ever happens. It's, a, you know, uh, there's always a possibility of carjackings, that rolling up into a shootout, uh, encountering a cartel checkpoint. And the, the worst part of all this is that authorities in Mexico are not responding to cartel gunmen. They're not clashing with them. They're not fighting with them. So... Your chance, you know, when something does go wrong, your chances of it going wrong are very, very high, and it, the chances are that if it goes wrong, it's going to go very wrong. So that's right. the caveat there. So, you know, so like there I might said, not some be people a might chance say, that. Go ahead. Oh no! Like I said, some people might say, "Oh, I go all the time and nothing happens." So far, but you know, there's always that chance of something that going wrong, especially with the way things are right now in Tamaulipas. Things are actually getting worse and worse day by day. Right. Like even though they might not be looking for you in particular or something that you might be carrying with you or driving, right? Because they we, we hear them uh carjacking all the time. But you could get swept up into an event that just emerges and you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, I'll point you guys back to that uh, a couple of years ago when they when a group of cartel gunmen stormed the city and they killed 15 individuals, uh, most of them were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, so that just gives you an idea of, 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 you know, when things go wrong, they can go very wrong very quickly. Thanks a lot, Poncho. Appreciate it as usual. Stay safe out there. That's Ed Alfonso Poncho Ortiz. Check out the stories at Breitbart.com slash border. You're listening to News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Para Mi app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. 
stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.